you carried baggage into here today and you may not even realize it. We all carry things with us and oftentimes it's things that we've suppressed, we've pushed down, we've hidden away, we've not acknowledged or we've we kind of know it's there but we don't want to really address it or really think about it. To do that means that we confront ourselves and confront our own lies to ourselves and confront the heartache and the difficulty that baggage brings. Because oftentimes those things that we carry, not even knowing it, are some of the toughest things that we've ever faced. Some of the hardest truths that we have to grapple with in our own lives. Number one, I want you to know you're not alone. Every person in this room has some kind of thing that they're carrying. Their bag might not be as heavy as yours or might be heavier, but we all have those things. And here's the truth of Scripture. Here's the truth of who Jesus is and what I want you to see in this series. Jesus knows. Jesus sees you. There's nothing packed up in your bags that he can't see. You ever been to the airport and you have to place your um, items on the bag and they take it through the little x-ray machine and they see all that's in there. Jesus is like that. He knows what bags you carry. He knows what's packed up inside of them. Though they may be tucked away and rolled up in a pair of socks or whatever, Jesus knows and sees not only does he see, but he begs you and beckons you, he beckons you to bring those to him. Jesus said, many of you are weary, heavy laden. You got a lot of bags you're carrying. Bring them to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus wants you to take your concerns and cares and difficulties and baggage and lay them down so that you can travel light and live free. And I want to help you to do that today, particularly in the area of the baggage I think we, many of us carry, because some of us came in here today with the baggage of unbelief. Now you may think, wait a second. We're here, we're at church. You're preaching to the choir. We're, we're faithful, we've been here. Yeah. And I'm so thankful you're here. But it doesn't mean that there's not some kind of lack of belief in your heart. And just as last week we talked about that doubt is not anything that, that, that God is scared by or challenged by, you may have today some kind of Unresponse or unbelief in your heart, and it's okay. Jesus still beckons you to come and bring it to him. You lack response to him. You lack repentance, perhaps, in him, and maybe you are indifferent to Jesus. You've tasted and you've seen and you've walked away saying, eh, 
No big deal. I want you to know that though Jesus wants you to come to him, there is a dire warning in Scripture. There's a dire warning in today's text to those who remain unresponsive to the message of Jesus. So, in just a moment, I want you to buckle up. Not because this is a hard message or something that you need, you're going to get your toes stepped on. I don't necessarily intend that, but to buckle up so you can listen, so that you can hear, and so that the Lord will stir your heart and you will be moved today. Because the last thing you and I need to do is understanding that the dire warning of Scripture is here and to walk out unchanged. To walk out of this place with the same apathy that we may have come in to begin with. You see, we live in a society of apathy. We live in a society particularly apathetic to religious things. I have the opportunity often to work with non-religious couples, uh, non-religious men and women who want to be married but don't have a pastor or don't know someone to marry them. And so sometimes I'll get that opportunity. And here's one of the things that as I'm talking to them, and I'll share with them that I'm a pastor and I'm a minister and I want to get to know them. And to me, it's an opportunity for outreach and to share with people who, you know, I'm around a lot of Christians most of the time. So it gives me an opportunity to be around lost people. And so I tell them that I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus. And they'll very quickly say, oh, well, we grew up Christian, but we are spiritual now. We're not really Christian. And I hear that again and again and again. Millennials seem to think that there's some kind of, you know, badge of honor because, well, I'm, I'm not very religious, but I'm spiritual. And what I would like to say to that society, that, not necessarily those people, but the society that, that, that pushes that thought out there, you're not spiritual. You're apathetic. You're apathetic to the very thing that would make you spiritual, and that's Christ. Why? Why is our society so just, eh, who cares about their religious state or about their eternal state? Why, Why are we so just okay with it? Why are we so okay with just being okay? Because they don't understand. We don't understand how important it is to make our lives, to make it right in our lives with the God of creation, to make our lives right with Jesus. To do what Greg did last week, trusting Christ, when his story, just an encouragement to you and I. It's not too late to trust in Jesus and to follow him. Aren't you thankful for how God is working in Brad and Christy's lives to, to get their lives in order to follow Jesus, to live for him? That's what we're all called to do. But we live in a society that says, eh, There is more hostility against Christianity growing. 
But I would think for the most part, as long as Christianity doesn't intersect with other people's lives, people are willing to let you kind of do your thing and they want to do their thing and that's okay. In our society today, not many are moved by Christ and his claims. Many of them are old hat and not worth pursuing. Even in churches across America, people want to keep their faith private where it makes no real difference in their everyday life. But what I want you to see is Jesus has a dire warning for anyone that would live that way. We're going to continue our study in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 12 through 24, and see how Jesus encounters the unresponsiveness of his day, of his generation, and to find out what we, how we need and why we need to lay down our unbelief. Would you, if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Truly, I tell you, sorry, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is like, he is the Elijah who is to come. He's talking about John the Baptist still. And he says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Let anyone who has ears, listen. That's a key phrase, and I want you to hold on to that as we continue. Verse 16, to what should I compare this generation, Jesus says. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John, the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent, they did not believe, they did not turn. And he says these things, and these are these dire warnings I mentioned before. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment then for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom. It would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus gets real serious real quick. He gets real serious real quick because he wants the people to see how important this idea of not only just hearing, but living out the truths that he's brought 
for them to make a difference in their lives, for them to change them and rearrange their lives. So I tell you today, don't leave this place unchanged by the life-giving words of Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place today unchanged by the dire consequences of living in a life of unrepentance and unbelief and unresponse to Jesus. Grapple today with the truth claims of the Lord Jesus Christ in his word today and ask God to change you the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus sees our lack of response. In verse 16, he says, Woe to this generation. This generation is like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace and saying, Hey, we, we're trying to play with you. We're trying to do this thing with you. We're doing like the fun stuff, like playing a flute and dancing, and you just sit there. Then we said, Okay, well, maybe you're sad. So we played a song of lament, a song of sorrow, and you didn't even mourn, you didn't respond at all. And Jesus says, that's what this generation is like. And that's the generation I was trying to explain to you a moment ago, the generation in which we live, the generation that we live in that just seems to care nothing about the things of Jesus, nothing about the things of God. Even the American church dies every day you know, there are churches that are closing their doors every day. Somewhere around 8,000 churches close every year. Why? I think part of that is because we're not taking seriously the claims of Jesus, that our lives would be changed by him, that it would make a difference in our lives. We're carrying around this baggage and saying, I don't really care. I don't really care. I wonder if you and I, do we care about our lost friends? Do we care about our lost loved ones? If we understood the woes of Scripture, if we understood the judgment to come, we would care. And we would do whatever we can with kindness and with love, not beating something over someone's head, but with kindness and love, we would beg them, come to church with me. Just consider the things of Jesus. Can I pray for you? Will you please respond? We would care. Jesus sees our lack of response. The entire generation of Jesus' day didn't seem to care. And it didn't seem to matter what was done by John the baptizer or Jesus. Not many were responding. And Jesus likens these people to children playing in this marketplace. And they're not responding to each other. Jesus is essentially, look at all the things, saying, he's essentially saying, look at all the things that I've done in your midst. Look at all the things that John has done in your midst. And all you want to do is say, he's got a demon. And all you want to say is, I'm the friend of sinners and I'm a glutton and a drunkard. And you accuse us of all these things. You don't want to truly grapple with what is going on. Jesus could be speaking to our generation today saying the same thing. In Jesus' day, the only response was a response of accusation. And isn't that the truth of our generation today? That people want to accuse Christians of, of everything under the sun. 
and not truly grappling with the truth claims we make. Everything is critical against Christianity. Jesus sees you. He sees you today. Perhaps he's saying to you today, I've shown you time and again who I am and you still remain unmoved. Jesus is calling to you today. Wake up. Wake up. Respond. Act like you care. Jesus sees our lack of response. Jesus also sees our lack of repentance. Jesus gets real specific with specific people in certain places he's been to and he begins to pronounce these woes upon them. This idea of woe, is, it's, it's odd for our society. It's not something we really use very often. If we did, people would look at us very strangely, wouldn't they? If we were you know, on the street corner, woe to you, you know, woe to you, Lafayette. You, you know, people would be like, that guy is weird, right? So we don't understand that idea of woe. So let me help you get the idea of what Jesus is saying here. This idea of just that three-letter word, woe, is this, this, those three letters pack a huge punch, huge. The word literally means the horror, the horror. So that might be something, we don't say that either, but it might be something a little bit more like what we say, right? Like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that. Like, the horror, how would that be the case? When Isaiah says, and he pronounces a woe upon himself, it's like he's just saying, because he's in the presence of Almighty God in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, woe to me, woe Whoa, whoa, am I a man of unclean lips? And it's really just saying, this is a horrific situation I'm in. And that's what Jesus is saying to these people, these towns, these people groups, these religious places. He's saying, you're in a very horrific situation and you don't even realize it. You don't even know it. The horror. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. What Jesus is dealing with in these places is a lack of repentance. Jesus came in these places and he performed very clear miracles. He says to them, if I do the same stuff in the land of Tyre and Sidon, and if you don't remember your Old Testament history, what you must understand that Tyre was once like Babylon. Tyre was this Horrific people group that God displayed his, uh, his wrath upon them eventually because they just kept being uh, persistent in their uh, mockery of God's people and abuse of them. And what Jesus is saying to these people and they would, they would understand is he's saying, if I did the same thing in those terrible towns that you deem unredeemable, if I did what I did in your town, they would have repented. What a, what a, what a way for Jesus in this, this understanding that you, you and I don't fully grasp because we, we have to kind of go back and put ourselves in the situation. Jesus is saying in this very dynamic way of you are not able to be moved and here I am in your midst. 
And if I was in these terrible towns that you deem unredeemable, and I did the same things, they would have repented. They would have changed. They would have turned. Jesus sees our lack of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is another one of those Bible words that we don't often use in our lives. But repentance is very simple. It means to turn away from something and turn to another way. Repentance is saying, I am completely turning away from my way of living and I'm turning upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Christy said it really well in her video. She says that sin had captured her, right? She had taken her further than she wanted. It was a great little saying. Uh, And then she says, I'm praying a new prayer. Lord, I want to obey you. That's repentance. To say sin took me farther along the road than I wanted to go. But I'm turning away from it and all its power in my life. And I'm turning to Jesus. Lord, I want to obey you. Lord, I want to live my life for you. Jesus is saying to these towns that he was intimately involved with. And these were religious people. These were Israelites. These were people that should have been following God's ways already. They'd been corrupted and they'd been living their life for themselves. And Jesus said, you are not turning from your sinful ways. If we want to lay down the baggage of unbelief in our life, we have to turn from sin. But see, just like the society of the day, just like the generation that Jesus is speaking into, just like Chorazin and just like um, Bethsaida, we too oftentimes, too often, we coddle sin. We accept sin. We don't like to bring it up. We don't, we don't like to talk about it. We certainly don't want to deal with our own. Sin is dangerous. Sin must be repented of. Sin must be cast aside. Friends, if you have sin today of which you've not repented and turned and turned to Jesus Christ, the call for you is to re- repent. That's a grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, are, you cannot continue in it. We must turn from our sin. And listen, sometimes we've got to do that on a daily basis. Sometimes we just got to wake up every day and say, nope, not today, Satan. Nope, not today, sin. I'm living for Jesus. We must turn from sin. Jesus sees our lack of repentance. Jesus sees when we entertain little sins, but sin, no matter how big or how small, is intolerable to God. But repentance is accepted by him. Will we continue in our sin or will we call out to God in desperation of him to hear our cries and accept our repentance? Jesus sees our lack of response. Jesus sees our lack of repentance. And Jesus sees our indifference. He talks about this town called Capernaum and Jesus did most of his work in this town. In the town of Capernaum, we see Jesus performing all sorts of miracles. Some of the most significant acts he performed there, but they were unchanged by him. 
And really, they were just indifferent to him. And what Jesus says is that you think you're going to heaven, but Capernaum, you will go down to Hades. Indifference to God, indifference to Christ, this idea of apathy, this idea of, well, you know, I'll just do whatever I want. God's gracious, but it's not going to really affect and change my life. That is not the way to do it. In fact, Jesus says indifference will get you into hell. Indifference toward God will send you straight there. Jesus said the people of Sodom, and we know Sodom from the Old Testament, it was decimated because they wouldn't turn. But he says if people of Sodom had seen Jesus in their land, they would have remained to today. What an indictment to Capernaum. You see, we think that our indifference is, you know, it's just, it's okay, no big deal. God's gracious and kind. He's not going to do anything with us. We'll just kind of do our own thing. We won't do anything real bad, but we won't do anything real good either, and we'll just kind of be right there in the middle. Jesus, Jesus sees that as worse than the sins of Sodom. Jesus sees the indifference of our day as well. And he does not tolerate it. We are too indifferent. We come to church when we feel like it, when nothing else is happening, when it's convenient. We put a little Jesus on every now and again, but for the most part, it's just an add-on to our lives. But Jesus wants us to be fully in on living for him are you only indifferent to Jesus or is he everything to you? Jesus sees and Jesus knows. The final thing that I want us to see today in this passage, because some of this seems real tense, is that Jesus wants you to respond to him and hear his warnings. He wants you to heed his warnings. What do you say? And I told you to hang on to that verse, verse 15. Whoever has an ear, let him listen. So you and I have an opportunity today to not be apathetic, to not just be ho-hum about our walk with the Lord, to not be just okay with carrying this baggage of unresponse and unbelief around with us, but to lay it at the feet of Jesus. He gives us the opportunity to hear his word and to listen to it and to follow him and to do something about it. Let the one who has ears to hear listen to Jesus today. Are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you hearing what he has to say when he says, repent, turn, change, be moved by me? Or will you and I walk out today with our ears closed or our ears clogged up and our bags packed up well, we pick those bags right back up and take them with us. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Jesus tells us to listen, and so may we listen today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song.
It's one of my favorite songs. It's a cry to the Lord. And it just simply says, Lord, I need you. Is that your heart today? Do you realize and understand today how much you need Jesus? That's really what it comes down to. Do you recognize your need for Jesus in your life? And he wants to be there. He wants to be part of it. And he wants you to listen. He wants you to hear. He wants you to follow. He wants you to repent. He wants you to respond. He wants you to be moved today. And so in this moment, when we sing this song, even if you don't feel it, would you say it? Lord, I need you. Would you say it till you do feel it? Would you say it till you do believe it? Do you say it? Would you say it till you are moved by him? Would you ask him, Lord, don't let me leave today unchanged by you. Don't let me grab up my baggage of unbelief and unresponse and take it with me again today. Let me just lay it at your feet. Would you do that today? As we sing, would you truly mean those words? Lord, I need you. Lord, I come. Lord, I confess. Bowing here, I acknowledge that I need you when I find rest in you. Let's sing that song today. If God is moving in your heart, would you come and respond to him today? Would you stand? Let us sing. Let us respond. Let us cry out to him. I need you, Lord.